I want you to get your Bibles or turn on your Bibles or turn to in your Bibles to uh, Proverbs chapter 4. We, uh, we started a brand new series last week called Simplexity, and uh, we defined simplexity this way. We said that simplexity is simple biblical wisdom that keeps a complex life from becoming more complicated. Now, a few years ago, uh, Amy and I, uh, we escaped to one of our favorite places in the world, a little town that many of you have been to called Savannah. And we love to go to Savannah. It's just a great little escape for us. We love the restaurants there, and we love the fact that it's so close to the beach. And um, we walked along that street that's along the river, and, uh, you know, you just go in and out of those little knick-knack stores. And I remember seeing, and I actually took my phone out and took a picture of it, I saw this refrigerator magnet with a quote on it, and I thought, somewhere along the line, I'm going to use this quote. I don't know when, I don't know where, but I'm going to use this quote. And um, I shared it with James Griffin, and he went, this is the time. And so um, it's, it's by the great philosopher John Wayne. You might have heard him, the Duke. Here's what he says. He says, life is hard, but it's harder when you're stupid. <laughs> now, we used that last week. Were you going to use it this morning? And chances are I may use it again next week, okay? That's just good stuff right there. Wouldn't you agree? And, and the fact, fact that it is, it's just true. From time, from time, every one of us in this room would agree that no matter who you are, where you came from, life is hard at times. There are times when our job is hard, our relationships are hard, we have family, family issues that are challenging, our marriage can be difficult, raising children is a challenge. I mean, I could just go on and on and on about all the things that we face that are just really difficult. Life is hard, it's tough, it's messy at times, it's complicated, it's complex. However, we all have the ability, every single one of us have the ability to take what's already challenging and make it even harder, make it more complex, make it even more complicated, and even more messy. You say, how is that? By making unwise, foolish, and to John Wayne's point, even stupid decisions. Now, I ran into a funny article several years ago, um, ran into this article on the internet, and it had just this list of, of just bad decisions that have been made throughout history, and, and I just put down a couple of them. Um, in 1955, there was a guy by the name of Sam Phillips who sold the contract of a young recording artist to RCA Records for $35,000, and by doing that, he unknowingly forfeited royalties on more than one billion records. Anybody know who the singer was? Yeah, baby. Elvis Presley, all right? Bad, bad decision, all right? And then in 1936, Joe Schuster, Jerry Siegel sold the rights to Superman for $65 a piece. Didn't work out for them very well. In Germany, there was a bank robber who pulls out a gun, demands some money, tells the teller, the bank teller, tells the, the, the robber that she needs to see his ID before she's going to give him money. And so he pulls out his ID, puts it down, leaves it there, takes the money. I... I a thief in Boston, okay? He attempts to steal two live Maine lobsters. And his getaway plan? Stick the lobsters down his pants. <clears throat> I don't even know what to say to that. Three prison guards, three prison guards, fired, lose their job for giving the prisoners a trampoline during exercise breaks, all right? Because they were jumping over the fence. Then there was that high school girl that told Bill Gates, gave him an ultimatum, me or the computer. Think about that, all right? 
Now, every man in this room, I want you to listen closely to me. There's that moment, and every one of, them, every one of us have had them. All right? If you're married, you've had this moment where your wife walks out, and she looks at you, and she says this, do these pants make me look fat? And you pause. Bad, bad, bad decision. Bad decision. Guys, life is tough, but it's even tougher when you're stupid. All right? Throughout this series, um, we are in the book of Proverbs, and as I said last week, Proverbs are principles. They're they're biblical principles that, when put into action, will help uh, you to start making better decisions. They're going to help you to start living your life more intentionally. They're going to help you to avoid some major roadblocks on the pathway of life. And if you'll, you'll put these things into practice, you'll be able to navigate clearly through some of the difficult challenges of life. Now, in Proverbs 4... Uh, if you look early on in the chapter, Solomon says to his own son, I, wanna, I want you to listen to some wisdom that was passed down to me <clears throat> from my father David. Now, if you know anything about Solomon's father, da- father David, you know that he was a godly man, he was a great king, he was a great warrior, but he had firsthand experience with the consequences of unwise decision-making. To sum it all up, before Solomon was ever born, one afternoon, David is walking around the palace rooftop and he looks over his roof and out in the distance he sees this beautiful woman and she is bathing on the rooftop of her own house and obviously she's naked. As my grandfather from North Carolina would say, she was naked, all right? And in a very weak moment, this man who God said himself was a man after my own heart He sends a servant to get her, and he has sex with her. Now, we have several problems that are going on in the story, and I'm not tearing it apart all for you. I mean, we're not even going there to read it. But you need to understand that this is not David's wife. This was the wife of one of David's military officers, a guy by the name of Uriah. David should have been out fighting with his men. He should have been commanding his army, but instead... He is at home sleeping with one of his officer's wives, and her name was, you know, Bathsheba. Bathsheba becomes pregnant. And so David devised, uh, he comes up with a, with a foolish plan. He says, I'll get Uriah off the battlefield. He'll come home. He'll have sex with his wife, and the whole thing will get covered up, and no one will ever know what took place. And so he brings Uriah off of the battlefield, and his plan doesn't work. Uriah comes home, but he refuses to sleep with his wife. He tells David, I can't be at home relaxing, sleeping in my own bed while my men are out fighting a battle. And then they're, they're out sleeping in the fields. I can't do this to them. So David comes up with another plan. He says, I'm just going to get Uriah drunk. And he thinks, if I can get him drunk, he'll sleep with his wife. But even in a drunken stupor, Uriah sleeps on his front porch. And so finally David has Uriah sent back out into the battlefield. He gets him put on into the front lines so that Uriah will be killed. Now I want you to think about how messed up that story is for just a moment. In a weak moment, David commits adultery. He tries to cover it up with lies. And then he commits premeditated murder. There is probably not a better example in the Bible of how one godly person can make one poor, unwise, stupid decision and end up making their life more complicated and more complex and more difficult than it needed to be. Now, you look at a story like this and you go, how does something like this happen? How how does a guy like David end up making a choice like that? How does someone who's so 
godly end up wrecking his life? Well, here's the deal. David did not guard his heart. Apparently, David had not just taken a vacation from his duties as king. David had taken a spiritual vacation. David should have been out fighting alongside of his men, but he decided to stay home. And, and, and so in turn, his priorities are all messed up. Now, I don't think that David woke up that morning and said, let me see if I can go up on the rooftop and find a naked woman out there somewhere that I could sleep with. I don't think that was what, what was going through his mind. I don't think that he basically, you know, let me wake up this morning and see how I can make a decision to, st- to destroy my life. But when David saw beautiful, beautiful Bathsheba bathing on her roof, he wasn't ready for it. He wasn't strong enough to say no to the sin. His resistance was down because apparently David had not taken the right steps to guard his heart, to guard the heart of his life where your emotions lead you to your thinking and where your thinking leads you to your choices. And so in one moment, David gave life to John Wayne's wisdom where life is tough, but it's even tougher when you're stupid. Now, let me tell you what happens after the story because David's life gets a whole lot tougher. Unfortunately, David lived with the results of his decisions for the rest of his life. His children completely spun out of control and and I mean one of his kids tried to overthrow him another one raped a daughter and murdered the other one I mean it was just a complete mess last week we talked about how to make wise decisions how do you engage God into your daily decision making process and we talked about how Proverbs 3 5 and 6 really gives us and I gives us the plan we need to trust God and obey God you want you want your paths to be straight trust him and obey him. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about the importance of guarding your heart, the area of your life that serves as the source of your feelings, your emotions, and eventually your choices. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, Solomon says this to his son, my son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, let them not escape from your sight, Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart. Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Now Solomon is thinking back as he talks to his own son and he remembers a piece of advice that his father David gave him. Son, above everything else, above all things, guard your heart. Now, why is it so important? Why why is our heart so important to God? Well, first of all, we need to understand that it is the very center of our life. In Jewish culture, the heart was seen as the the center of a person's being. The Jews viewed the heart as the the source of a person's feelings or emotions, the center of a a person's ability to to think and to, to apply reason and logic. It was also the center of a person's ability to make right choices. Everything flows from the center. Everything a person is, what they say, how they feel, how they act, what what they're going to do, it all flows from the heart. Author uh, Joseph Stoll, in in his book, Fan the Flame, says the heart is used in Scripture as the most comprehensive term for the authentic person. It is the part of our being where we desire, deliberate, and decide. It has been described as the place of conscious and decisive spiritual activity, the comprehensive term for a person as a whole, his feelings, his desires, his thoughts, his passions, understanding and will, and the center of a person, the place to which God turns. So the heart is important because it's the center of our life, but it also determines the course of your life. 
The King James says, for out of it are the issues of life. The, the, uh, international, uh, the English Standard Version, which we're using this morning, says, from it flow the springs of life. Now, the word issues or, or the word springs means outgoings. Again, everything flows from the heart. It flows from the inside out. The emotions we feel result in the thoughts we think. The thoughts that we think result in the choices that we make. The decisions, uh, the choices that we make ultimately make who we are. Now I want to give you a, a little phrase that, that I want you to write down. And I want you to write it down because I want it to remind you of how important it is to guard your heart. Put it on a sticky note, put it on a piece of paper, put it on your refrigerator, put it on your desk, put it somewhere so that you will understand every, that every single day I need to be guarding my heart. Here it is. An unguarded heart leads to unbridled emotions which lead to unreasonable thinking resulting in unwise choices. An unguarded heart leads to unbridled emotions which lead to unreasonable thinking resulting in unwise choices. Now again, David is a great example. David was tempted while his heart was completely unguarded. His emotions were not in check. They were totally at the mercy of his unguarded sin nature. And he reasoned. I'm going to sleep with this woman. I don't care if she's married. I don't care who she might be married to. I don't care how my actions might impact my life or impact my family. And his unreasonable thinking turns into an unwise choice. He sends a servant to go get Bathsheba so that he can sleep with her. That one decision resulted in David's life completely spinning out of control. Every area of his life as king, his future, his, his own children, every, his relationship with God, the other decisions that, me, that he made, it was all impacted because an unguarded heart leads to unbridled emotions, which leads to unreasonable thinking, resulting in unwise choices. Now I want you to think for a moment about your own heart for just a moment, that area that's the very center of your life. The place where your feelings and your desires and your passions and your actions, where they're all birthed, is your heart at this moment guarded by a growing, vibrant relationship with God where you have already made up your mind, Lord, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to obey you? Or is it unguarded? Is it open for whatever's coming your way? Do you have a sign on you that says, open for business? Well, the world, the flesh, whatever, I'm just, I'm open for whatever. Whatever temptation, whatever sin, woo, come on, it, it's all, I'm just, I'm wide open. Some of you guys, you are going to be tempted today or this week by porn. And the question is, are you allowing God to guard your heart so you have the strength to resist it? Or is your heart unguarded and open to take the bait? And it's not just a guy issue. I mean, guys and ladies. I mean, ladies are, it's growing percentage of, of women involved in this. Listen, I want you to understand, when you, when you watch porn, here's all of the sin that goes along with it. When you confess, here's pride, lust, adultery, fornication, quenching the spirit of God, abusing God's grace, sinning against yourself. And if you're married, you're sinning against your spouse. That's all that's going on there when you decide to take a look on a computer screen, thinking in just a very vulnerable moment, no big deal. Some of you are dating someone right now. You're single and you're deciding whether or not you're going you're gonna to take this relationship to another level where you're going to become sexually involved or you're going to wait till marriage. You're going you're gonna to stay pure. Together, your hearts are going to be guarded. Or you're going to choose to sleep together. Listen, the consequences of that, you need to know, is a lifetime of regret and guilt. 
Even though there's forgiveness, you still live with the regret and guilt of that. Some of you ladies, I've not read this, but some of you ladies, I heard a lot about dabbling in things like Fifty Shades of Grey and other stuff like that. And it's causing your unguarded heart to mess with your emotions, which is causing you, your thinking to get jacked, all jacked out of shape, which is going to lead you to make unwise, sinful choices. Listen, I'm not trying to beat you over the head this morning. This is not the morning where the pastor shepherd beats the sheep. I'm just helping you. I'm trying to save you from taking a road that's going to lead to disaster. All these commands, all these principles, they're not given to us to restrict us, to beat us up over the head. They're given us because God loves us and he knows the consequences of walking down some of these paths. And so Solomon says, above all else, job numero uno, guard your heart. Now, how are we to do that? How are we to guard our hearts? Well, Solomon says, keep it with all vigilance, with all diligence. The word keep, the word guard is a personal responsibility. And some of you in this room, you've made bad choices. And rather than taking responsibility, you continue to shift blame. And my challenge to you this morning is enough. Enough of that. It's time to take responsibility for the choices that we've made and how they've impacted those around us. All diligence means that we have a plan. We have an intentional and we have a deliberate plan. In other words, if something is this important, then we need to have a well thought out, intentional, deliberate plan to make sure that we're successful. Now listen, God has given us everything in Jesus, in our relationship with Jesus, to be successful in this world. In Christ, you have everything that you need to walk in this life victorious, to overcome any sin that comes your way. When Jesus went to the cross, when he died, and then conquered death on the third day, we were, giving, we were given the ability to live life in victory. And so all excuses are removed. So how do we get it done? How do we get this done? How do we guard our hearts? If it's so important, how do we do it? Well, first things first. Some of you need to receive a new heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, I want you to know that because of sin, our heart is a messed up place. Every one of you in this room, all right, I want you to know, we all, our hearts are all jacked out of shape. But without Christ, we're operating off not just a desperately sick heart, we're operating off of a dead heart. And what some of you need this morning, all right, is a heart transplant. You need a new heart. How do you receive a new heart? Through salvation in Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He came to give us new hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 or 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so how do we, how, how do we get a new heart? Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe where? In your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And listen, if that life-altering decision is not in place, then the rest of what I'm going to say to you from here on out, it doesn't apply. Because you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. You've never been forgiven of your sin. Things have, been not, have not been made right between you and God. That reconciliation has not been has not taken place. And so if you're here this morning and you need to receive a new heart, you need a heart transplant, we're going to have a moment where you can do that. For those of us who profess to be Christ followers, here's what we need to do. We need to learn to embrace the gift of repentance. 
Embrace the gift of repentance. Let me tell you what happens to David next. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 through 14. God sends a prophet by the name of Nathan to David. And Nathan tells David a story. He said, David, I want to tell you a story. Here, here's, here's, there are two men. One's poor, one's rich. The rich guy, he has everything he needs. I mean, he's got more land, more flocks, and he knows what to do with. But the poor guy, he's got one little ewe lamb. And he's close to that lamb. I mean, he, this lamb eats with him. It sleeps with him. I mean, this lamb is close to him. I mean, it's everything to him. Well, one day, David, the a rich, this traveler comes to town and, and, uh, and he comes to visit the rich man. And instead of going to his own flocks to get, um, um, prepare a meal for this man, the rich man goes to the poor man and he takes that one little lamb and he kills it and he prepares a meal for the traveler. And as David is listening to this story, I mean, he's getting jacked out of shape. David's really getting upset. And he is like, that man right there, he deserves to die. And, he, and everything he has needs to be replaced in fourfold. And Nathan, at that very moment, looks at David and he says, David, you are that man. And because you're that man, because you, David, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. He, he goes through, he tells David everything he's done. Uriah, Bathsheba, tells him the whole thing. He says, David, God has given you everything you needed. You had everything. He's given you the, the, the throne of Saul. He's given you Saul's kingdom. He's let you, he's given you his wives. David, everything that you need, you have it. And yet, you went to Uriah and you took his only wife, a poor man. And David, as a result of that, the consequences are going to be catastrophic. The child that Bathsheba's carrying is going to die. There's going to be consequences that are going to impact your family for generations. David, I mean, the consequences are, they're, they're, they're huge. And at that moment, David does the right thing. He says this, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. David repented. Now, what is repentance? It's, it's a change of mind. It's a change of mind that is so powerful and so impacting that it causes you to confess your sin and take a different course of direction. It's a gift that God has given us to make things right with him, to clean the slate, to remove the excuses and to make things right with God once and for all. Listen to what David writes. Psalms chapter 51 is basically David's letter of repentance to God after he confesses his sin to him. And it's summed up in, in verse 10. It says, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. How do you get a clean heart? How do you get a right spirit within you? How do you get a clean spirit, a new spirit? repentance every sin you've ever ever committed every sin that you're ever going to commit has already been covered by the blood of jesus but what god wants is he wants us to come with a contrite spirit come before him lay that sin down at the cross and say lord it's already been covered but i confess it to you and god says we'll make things right third thing we've got to renew our minds how do we guard our heart we're going to renew our minds romans 12 2 says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, in this verse right here, there's a negative command, a positive command, and a plausible cause, or, um, plausible cause here. Negative command. Do not be conformed to the present world system. Now, what's the world system? Well, if you look in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, it lays it out for us. Basically, it says, it says this, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life 
All right? Passion to feel, passion to have, passion to be. Pleasure, possessions, position. Negative command. Don't be conformed to the, to the world system. Positive command. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here's the purpose clause. So you can test and approve what God's will is for your life. Now I want to look at this word transform for just a moment. It means metamorphosis. Change from the inside out. In the Greek, the word is written in the passive voice. That means that God is the one who does the transforming in our lives. Trying harder doesn't do it. Religion doesn't do it. Making a list of rules doesn't do it. But it's also spoken in an imperative voice, which means it's a command. So we have a responsibility to work alongside of God in the transformation process. In other words, only God can transform our minds. Only God can transform our hearts. But we don't just sit around and wait for it to happen. We have to partner with him in the process. You say, how do I do that? This is how you renew your mind so that transformation can, can take place. You've got to get God's word into your life, into your mind, into your heart, so you can replace the lies and the deception of the world system with truth, the truth of God's word. The world, I mean, it's going to constantly keep throwing things at you, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. And so we've got to keep replacing that stuff with the truth of God's word. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. So transformation begins at salvation, but it continues as we start putting the word of God into our mind. So not only do you begin to replace lies with truth and begin to know truth, but here's what happens. Your attitude, your attitude towards the world system is going to begin to change. And so instead of being lured in by it, feeling like you're just helpless, feeling like, you know, it's good, but God doesn't want you to have it because God's up there just wanting to kill your joy. Instead of feeling like that, supernaturally you begin to look at those things as they're coming to you. And you begin to go, I'm not going to do that. That's just stupid. Why would I want to do that? There are consequences connected to that decision that could really harm me, really harm my family, harm my marriage, harm my life, harm my job. I know better than to do that. So you've got to renew your mind. Get word, God's word, replace the lies and the deception with truth. And then you've got to guard your outward life. Now, it's just a continuation of what I've already been talking about. How do you guard your heart from the world coming against you? Proverbs 4, Solomon continues in verse 25. He says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. You have to fill your heart with God's word, but you also have to allow God's Holy Spirit to fill you daily so that you are being guided to make right choices. Now, every one of you in this room, you have a conscience. If you are a follower of Christ, you have a will to make right choices that comes from the Holy Spirit. And we talked last week about the Holy Spirit's ministry to guide us, to counsel us, to help us make wise choices. Now, I want everyone in the room to participate. How many of you in the last five years have been in a mall? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you don't get out very much. There is a store in the mall, okay? And their marketing plan is this. We are going to find the most beautiful woman that we can find. We're going to take a picture of her in the least amount of clothes, and we're going to blow it up and put it on the window so everybody that walks by can see it. Obviously, we're talking about Victoria's Secret, okay? Now, what's the goal of Victoria's Secret? They want you to go in there and buy the lacy drawers. 
And obviously their marketing plan's working pretty well. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the drawers, but what I'm saying is if you're a guy, in the right context, if you're a guy, if you're a guy walking through the mall, here's the battle going on. Here, the, the world's thrown out the bait. The flesh is saying to you, stop and stare, lust, check that, check that girl out. But godly wisdom says, keep your eyes looking forward. Think about your feet. Don't let them stop and cause you to sin. God's word says in Matthew 5, 28, if you look upon a woman lustfully, that's not your wife, you commit adultery in your heart. There's a promise in James chapter 4, verse 7. If you submit your heart to the Lord, yourself to God, you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. You say, how do I do this? Because I'm incredibly tempted by moments like that. You fill your life with the power of God's word, but also you have to have the Holy Spirit convincing you and strengthening you and, and convicting you and empowering you to overcome anything put in your path. Now, how do you submit yourself to God so that the Holy Spirit will empower you to resist temptation and to make wise choices? You have to pray. You have to pray at that moment. There, Lord, I surrender my desires to you. Fill me with strength. Fill me with power that's already been promised to me, that I already possess. Kick it into gear. But you've got to be prepared. You have to be prepared. You have to make prayer part of your daily life. James says the prayers of a righteous man are what? Powerful and effective. See, I don't want to wait to get all prayed up when I'm in a bad situation. I find myself in a moment like that and I'm going, oh, I need to get prayed up quick. I want to be prayed up and ready before I ever get caught in a situation like that. And I have a feeling that one of the reasons why th th that David wasn't ready to tackle the challenge of Bathsheba bathing naked on his roof, on her roof, was because he wasn't spiritually ready for the moment. He knew God's word, but he wasn't able consciously, or he, but, but he was still able consciously to sin against God. Be why? Because his guard was down. Chances are he wasn't prayed up. He wasn't submitted to the Lord. He wasn't relying on the Holy Spirit's strength to empower him. And he probably thought, you know what? I'm God's anointed king of God's chosen people. I can let my eyes wander a bit. I deserve this little moment. I mean, what's, what's the danger of a little glance, a little stare, a little flirt, a little conversation, a little, hey, come on over to my house. Man, I can handle this. No one will know. I'm just messing around. No one's going to get hurt in all this. It's all innocent. God, I got this one. I got this one, God. I'm on a little spiritual hiatus here. Romans 6, 1 and 2 warns us against abusing God's grace by knowingly choosing to sin. You know in your heart, but you're abusing grace. Ephesians 4.30 commands us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't inflict the Holy Spirit with deep sorrow. So we need to guard our lives. Now what happens when I sin? Because I keep sinning. Me too. Man, you confess and you repent. Thank God for the gift of repentance. Thank God that we can have those moments where we can be forgiven, where we can be reconciled back. Lord, create inside of me a clean heart, a new spirit, a clean spirit. And God says, I will do that. I'm faithful every time. But you don't keep throwing it and just kicking God's grace around. And so we've got to renew our heart. We've got to guard our outward light, but we also got to value counsel and correction from others. Proverbs 12.1 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes but a wise man listens to advice. 
I've shared a lot of stories about my life over the years, and I don't know if I've ever shared this one, but back when I was, after my junior year of college, I was, I was dating this girl that we had been dating for a couple years, and it was not a healthy relationship. I was not in a great place spiritually. She wasn't either. And one, uh, the summer after my junior year, she went home to where she was living. I went home to where my parents were living, and we broke up. All right, well, she broke up with me. I was devastated. I was in a bad place. And my parents told me about the fact that there, were, there was a, an, an author, famous speaker, communicator named Josh McDowell who was coming to our area, and they wanted me to go. And I said, great, we'll go. So we went, and we heard Josh McDowell speak. And in the midst of this convert, uh, speak, speaking, he spoke on relationships. And he, tell, he told a story about this relationship he had with this, this young woman, and he loved her dearly, and he said, it just, they broke up and he couldn't explain it. It devastated him, but he just kept walking through it and God brought this amazing woman into his life who then became his wife and he looked back on that and he just said, Lord, if I wouldn't have trusted you, I, I mean, I'm just sitting there listening to this story and it's like I'm just, my heart's being pierced because all I can think about before that was I've got to get this girl back. So I found Josh McDowell after the thing and I walked up to him and I, I said, I want to talk to you for a moment. And he said, all right. And I went, man, I, I was very honest. I, I explained my whole situation to him. And he looked at me and he said, it sounds to me like God is doing you a favor right now. God stepped in. He's rescuing you from what could eventually be a really bad situation. I don't know her. I don't know you real. I'm obviously, I just met you. And he leans over and he gives me a cassette tape. I'm dating myself. He gives me a cassette tape and he goes, go home and listen to this. It was what he had just spoken on, the same message. He said, here's, what I'm, here's my challenge to you. Go listen to this again. And at the very end of this, if you do, if, if, if I, I want to just challenge you, put this in front of God and say, God, I trust you. And you do what God puts on your heart to do. You do the right thing. I did. I went home. I can remember exactly where I was sitting in our living room, stereo system in front of me, putting the cassette tape in, listening to the message. Got to the place where he tells the story about his former girlfriend, how the whole thing shook down. And my heart, I'm just telling you, I'm little, almost in a sweat. And at that moment, I pushed the stop button on the cassette player, and I said, God, I've got this. No. I don't trust you. I'm going to keep going down this path. Got back to school, worked hard, got this girl back. We got engaged, unhealthy. Got three months from getting married. We broke up again. God stepped in again. And And miraculously, grace and mercy and I'm just telling you, I mean, and looking back on that list, I just, I wasn't in a great place spiritually, neither was she. Great girl, but not God's best for me. And I was not God's best for her. And unfortunately, at that moment, my unguarded heart caused me to make some further unwise decisions. And honestly, why did that happen? Because I didn't trust God that he had a better plan for my life. See, an unguarded heart leads to unbridled emotions, which leads to unreasonable thinking resulting in unwise choices. And if I would have trusted God at that moment and been obedient to listen to the wisdom that he was giving to to me through a guy like Josh McDowell, I would have avoided a lot of heartache and embarrassment. But my heart was an unguarded mess. And we have got, God sends wise counsel. He sends wise correction into our lives to help us. It's that moment of grace. It's that moment of mercy. So here's my simplexity challenge to all of you this morning. Proverbs 4.23 Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. How do I do that? Receive a new heart. If you've never 
put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, to have things be made right between you and God, you're operating off of a dead, no beating heart. Just, just death. God sent Jesus to fix the mess. You need a new heart. But if you are a Christ follower, but, you're, but you just, Lord, I need, I need to get a plan. I need to be diligent. You need to embrace the gift of repentance. You need to renew your mind. You need to guard your outward life. You need to value counsel and correction from others. Because an unguarded heart leads to unbridled emotions, which lead to unreasonable thinking, resulting in unwise choices. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for these moments with, Lord, in your grace and even in your mercy, you step in and remind us, Father, of your love for us. You're not, a, you're not up there condemning us, Lord. Jesus said, because of Christ, there's no condemnation for us, Lord. But Lord, we make choices out of unguarded hearts. Our emotions lead us to, Lord, just unreasonable thinking and then we end up making choices that ruin our lives and impact others around us. And Lord, yet you've given us your word and you've given us, Lord, the gift of prayer and Lord, you've given us your Holy Spirit and the power of repentance, Lord, to be able to walk through this life. And more importantly, you've given us salvation to walk through this life with power to become overcomers of whatever comes our way. And I thank you for that. So if you're here this morning and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You've never come to that moment where, Lord, you just realize that you are, because of your sin, you're dead. That there is no relationship between you and God. There's a complete disconnect. And that you understand that there's nothing you can do to fix it except for put your faith and trust in what Jesus has done for you. And by his blood shed for you on the cross and through the power of resurrection, that's the only way you can receive forgiveness and reconciliation and redemption then today's your day how do I do that pray with me Lord Jesus at this moment I need forgiveness I need reconciliation Lord I need to be redeemed and so I am sorry for my sin I repent of my sin and I want with these lips Lord I confess you're the son of God I believe in my heart that you're the son of God What Jesus did was enough to forgive me of everything and to provide not only forgiveness for my past, present, but also my future sins. Lord, I put all my faith and trust in you and I receive the free gift of salvation that you're offering to me at this very moment. If that's a decision you're making, we want to come alongside of you and help you to take the next step on your journey. So take out your worship guide. There's a box to check that says, today I pray to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Take it to the help center in the atrium. We want to come alongside of you. Listen, for the rest of you our complexity challenge Lord help me to guard my heart help me to guard my heart with all diligence because out of it comes the outsources the springs the issues of life and so Lord today I choose to just embrace the gift of repentance Lord I'm choosing to live a life where Lord I renew my mind through the power of your word through prayer walking with the Holy Spirit, letting him fill me on a daily basis, surrendering my life to you. I'm going to guard myself from out the outside world 
replacing truth, replacing lies with truth. And Lord, I'm going to value the counsel and correction of others. Give me the strength, Lord. It's already there. But I am, Lord, I, I claim the power and the victory to overcome and to walk through this life victorious. And if you are in that place this morning, you just need to, you know what? You just need to repent. Just lay it out before the Lord. The Bible says that God is faithful. He's just, but he's faithful, and he will forgive us our sins when we confess them to him.